Welcome to Murder by Nature, where we discuss true crime, mystery disappearances, and unsolved cases. I'm Jasmine Hernandez, your host. So, oh my goodness, we reached 3,000 followers this week. 3,000! I don't know why y'all like to hear me talk. (laughs) I mean, the cases are pretty cool. And we are so close to Halloween. So... I'm not going to promise, but I think we might do two episodes next week. I have two more cases that revolve around Halloween that I want to release, but we only have one more Saturday. So I'm debating on doing a Saturday release and then another one on Halloween, just to end spooky season on a good note. So as most of you know, we've had some issues with recording and I'm trying to work that out. I just don't know how long it's going to take before I can get that figured out. So I'm just giving myself to the first of the year to start opening that and building this audience up a little bit more. Um, For video, we do have TikTok open. So if you guys wanted to see some visuals, you can always go to TikTok. And then I always like to post some pictures of the different things that I find while researching cases to our Instagram too. So you can always go there, follow us, and be able to see the photos for these cases. The people, the killers, all of that. Now, this case is called The Murder from the Mask Wolf, and we're going to jump into our references right now. So we have My Life of Crime, we have Crimes and Consequences, Medium.com, DiscoveryUK.com, Series Unmasked, CrimeScenesCleanup.com, Reddit, Cinematic, Kylie's True Crime, Find a Grave, Oxygen, and RecordB.com. And we're going to dive in to the episode of the Mask Wolf Killer. Halloween is the one day a year where people can dress up all around the world, knock on their neighbor's door for candy, and decorate their homes like crime scenes. It's the day that the communities come together to celebrate, and Halloween night in 1984 turned out to be a genuinely nightmare for one of the families in San Jose, California. As a family was celebrating a holiday filled with fun and spooky events, one family would soon see why opening the door for trick-or-treaters is not always the best idea. Doreen Ray Hitchens was born in Santa Clara, California in 1952. She grew up in a very loving family. She had a job as a physical therapist, and that's how she met her husband, Michael Dennis, also known as Mike. Michael Dennis worked for the Lockheed factory as a sprayer next door to Doreen's job. He suffered from hearing loss, which caused him to stutter just a little bit. And his friend Jim told Snapped on Oxygen that Mike was depressed and he didn't socialize a lot. He didn't often have girlfriends, so when he met Doreen, he said that he found the one. After only a few months of dating, the couple got married and Doreen soon gave birth to their baby boy, Paul Dennis. Well, Mike loved his role as being a father. The stress of being new parents was just too much for this young couple to withstand, and they quickly divorced in 1977. Now, when they divorced, Doreen retained primary custody of their son, and Mike would visit him on the weekends. Mike cherished the time with his son, but he remained bitter about the divorce. On the other hand, Doreen quickly bounced back and remarried a local carpenter store owner, Charles Edward. Now, these two got married super fast into the relationship and had two, and they had a daughter named Dina. She was born in 1979. 
Now, with Doreen and Charles, they blended their family relatively well, and they raised her and Paul together. The couple quickly started becoming a family and moved into a beautiful home within the community. In February of 1980, Paul, who was four years old, went into the backyard to play. The Eberts had a fenced-in surrounding pool, and just to touch base on some of the stuff that I found, they did this because, I guess, Doreen's dog ended up drowning in the pool. So Mike was very concerned about them having a pool and decided to help pay to get this fence put in. But Paul was able to climb over the fence, and he fell into the pool. Doreen, who was the one watching him from the kitchen window while she was doing housework, became frantic when she could no longer see him outside. She rushed outside to find him floating in the pool. After being pulled from the pool, Paul was put on life support for a week, but he ended up dying three days after the respirators and feeding tubes were removed, less than a month before his fourth birthday. It was a devastating event for the entire family, but especially painful for Mike. He blamed Doreen for Paul's death. His son's death would be the last straw that broke the camel's back for him. He was demoted at work and would make claims that Paul's death was not an accident, but in fact murder, a calculated move to erase him from their lives. And he was desperate to say that Doreen had gotten away with it. He he even went as far as filing a wrongful death suit against Charles and Doreen and said that the case was just absurd. He, she did it. She did this to him. She didn't want this. This case ended up going to trial March of 1982, and the jury ruled in favor of Charles and Doreen. The couple quickly con- contact with Mike. See, they, Mike thought that they wanted to get rid of him, and that's that's why this happened. But in doing all of this is what made that relationship come to a complete end. Over the next two years, Mike's life and mental health continued to deteriorate. According to the court documents, he lost his position as a sprayer at Lockheed and had to take a salary reduction to keep his job. More than anything, though, a lingering bitterness continued to eat away at him over the breakup of his marriage with the woman he blamed for Paul's death. Doreen was his person. That was who he loved. That was his person. But for her, that's not how it came down. And that didn't sit well with him. The Airberts, though, they they were celebrating. And not because Paul was dead. They were celebrating because after so much trauma in 1984, they announced that she was expecting a son after following two miscarriages in the preceding years. The baby was due in early November, just after Halloween. Doreen was under five feet tall, and as the birth date drew closer and closer, Her sister teased her that she was as far out as she was high. Now, as Mike hears the news, he can't feel happy for them. His resentment and grief continue to fester into something hateful. He thought of this woman as someone who ruined his life and murdered his son. How can she have such a beautiful life when he's losing everything? Mike never approached the family, but he also didn't leave. He stayed pretty close to them, and he lived just within six blocks about a six-mile walk from their home, to be precise, and this proximity could have been very unhealthy. Seeing the family move forward with their lives have angered him more and more, and it fueled his warped beliefs that Doreen had not suffered enough from the drowning. On Halloween night, October 31st, 1984, Doreen took her four-year-old daughter, Dina, out for trick-or-treating, while Charles handed out candy at home. 
After Doreen brought back Dina to the house, Charles went to get more candy and stopped by the liquor store. He would later estimate that he was only away from the house for about 15 minutes. At 9 p.m., there was an aggressive knock at the door. This startled Doreen, as she didn't think of anyone that would be a trick-or-treater and that would be knocking so aggressively. But reluctantly, she went to answer it. Dina later... Dina later testified in court at age eight that she recalled when her mother opened the door, a man in a wolf mask said, I'm going to kill you. In his hand was an 18 inch machete and her mom demanded that the man get out of the house before telling Dina to run and hide. My mommy said, get out of my house. Dina later testified. She said, mommy told me to hide behind the couch. So I did. When Charles returned from the store, He noticed that his front door was unlocked. This was strange to him because just when he left, his wife asked him to lock it on his way out. She said it was getting late and she didn't want someone coming in. When he got inside the house, he found a bloody, horrific scene. Doreen was laying in the entryway of their home while their unborn son was in the living room. Now this shocked Charles. He tried to assess the situation, and that's when he noticed that Doreen's hand was fully severed off, and he attempted to stop the bleeding. While he was helping her with the hand, he then noticed the horrific scene unfold before his eyes, with the wounds over her neck and torso. As Charles attempted to save his wife, he saw their son had been removed from her stomach, and it was hacked into pieces in the living room. There was so much blood on the floor, Charles slipped and fell. As he was going through the house trying to find his daughter, he finally finally found Dina still alive, hiding in the living room. Charles made his way to the telephone, but for some reason, he couldn't get through to 911. So he decided he was going to call the fire department and a neighbor for help. Charles took his daughter to the kitchen, away from the crime scene, and continued to search and aid his wife. When the police arrived on the scene, they discovered Charles hysterical and covered in blood. You can see in the hallway, it was red, and then there was a stool with a pumpkin on it, retired San Jose police officer said. Former San Jose police officer Jamie remembered the scene was completely eerie and bizarre. By the Ebert's front door, they found a wolf mask with exaggerated teeth, bulging eyes, and the tongue sticking out. They also discovered a trail of blood leading all the way down the block, where it then suddenly stopped. Investigators were confused. They thought maybe the killer had got into the car and drove away. They gathered blood samples, which at the time could only identify a victim or the killer's blood type. It couldn't identify any DNA. As the officers didn't didn't know what to do, they made their focus back on Doreen. When paramedics arrived, she still had a pulse and they were determined to save her. When Charles tried to go with his wife to the hospital, though, the paramedics were a little hesitant. The police ended up stopping Charles as they weren't really sure who did this or how to proceed. And when he was trying to get into the ambulance with his wife, they arrested him. They noticed that he was super bloody and had alcohol on his breath. They ended up putting him in the back of a police car handcuffed for the next hour and he grew enraged. He was kicking out the windows and screaming. Officers detained Charles for questioning, and another team of investigators spoke to the neighbors. Authorities quickly learned about the couple's troubled history with Mike and the death of Paul, 
and they quickly made their way to Mike's house, less than two miles away. As paramedics attempted to rush to the hospital to save Doreen, she unfortunately coded on the way there and was pronounced dead. As the case now turned into a murder investigation, the police arrived at Mike's house. When they got to the driveway, they noticed that his truck was parked out front and there was blood on the steering wheel, keys, and gear shift knob. As they made their way to the door, they noticed that there was lights on the house. They continued to knock and knock and knock. No answer. Then they started to hear the water running in the house. They immediately were suspicious of what could be going on inside and thought he was trying to flush or wash away any evidence that they didn't have access to. As tireless grew knocking on the door, the police finally decided to alert dispatch, who ended up having to call Mike to let him know that the police were at his door with questions. Mike made his way to the door in his robe and finally let the police in. When authorities informed Mike of his wife's well, ex-wife's murder, he seemed uninterested, cold, emotionless. Then Mike decided he was going to invite the police in to discuss the case. Investigators noticed a bandage on his right hand that was bleeding heavily and soaking the gauze that he wrapped around the wound. When questioned, he claimed that it was from playing with a knife in the kitchen. Mike told them that he had nothing to hide and agreed to let him search his house. Investigators were able to find blood throughout the house on articles of clothing and more than just what a simple knife wound can do. They knew something was not lining up with what he was telling them. As police continued to search, they found a loaded gun behind the headboard of his bed, a pair of bloody jeans on the same bed, and drops of blood throughout the property. This included a set of keys, and they also found that the bedroom and in front of the washroom and in the garage was blood drops. Blood was also found in the kitchen and on bandages in a bin in the bathroom. When being brought to the station, Mike initially denied murdering his ex-wife, and despite all the evidence that they were able to locate at the house and the crime scene, it was still not enough. They couldn't hold him, and after 48 hours of Doreen being murdered, Mike was released. Now, back again, knowing that they have the correct person, they did a second sweep of the home. They were able to locate a receipt from a hardware store and a label from a machete with an 18-inch blade. In his garage, they also found two handmade coffins, one for Charles and a smaller one for Doreen. They located body bags, weights, and a map of the San Francisco Bay. Police knew that they had their guy and was able to confirm more than just their suspicion when they were able to match the mask that was used in the murder as the one that Mike wore on Halloween the year before. Now, you're probably wondering, how did they do this? Well, Within the community, they started discussing this masked wolf, and the police were able to locate a girl who said that she saw Mike at a Halloween party and remembered he was dressed as the big bad wolf. Now, police couldn't just go off her statement and asked if she had proof. Did you have photos? Did you have anything to show that this happened? And she said, yes. The Halloween party that they were at, the guy was taking lots and lots of photos, and she was able to get one of Mike in her costume to prove it. Mike was arrested again on November 5th, 1984, after a state crime matched Mike's blood type to the one found at the crime scene. Mike was charged with murder with special circumstances, making him eligible for the death penalty. 
Now, Mike went on trial in July of 1988, and his defense attorney argued that the killings were a result of mental illness due to the death of his son, and that the murders were not premeditated or deliberate. Mike had a history of mental illness and was treated for suicide tendencies when he was younger. They argued that due to his hearing loss, he suffered from a stutter and an eating disorder. They stated that when he met Doreen, his life changed and he was happy, but within But when they divorced, he struggled with his depression again, and then losing their son made him spiral. He was the only person that was sad at at Paul's funeral, he said. Mike told his therapist that he killed Doreen, but that he didn't know that she was pregnant. That when he began stabbing her, he realized that she was pregnant. And if he would have known beforehand, he would have never hurt her at all. He denied any acts of violence to the baby. Now... In the court, the prosecution team argued, see, Doreen was visibly pregnant and the neighbors testified that when they took their children to her house for trick-or-treating, not long before the murder, they joked that she was so far out as she was high, just like her sister was saying. Pictures of Doreen a week before her murder was presented to the court to show that if you saw her, you would know she was pregnant. Now, I will post this picture to our Instagram for you to view. She's visibly pregnant. If you, you have to remember, her baby was due just days after Halloween. So for me, I have kids. You can tell that someone is pregnant, especially if it's not their first kid. She had a son and she had a daughter and she had two miscarriages and she's pregnant again. Her body's going to to come out a little bit differently. And everyone said that you just saw her and you knew. And to put into kind of perspective, Doreen was only five feet. So I'm four foot 11. I, you can tell when I'm pregnant. Now, pictures of Doreen for the week of her murder were presented to the, to the court. And multiple people testified that they recalled seeing a man in a wolf mask standing across the street, staring at the house between 6.30 and 7 p.m. There was also another report of this man between 8.30 and 9 p.m., again, staring at their house. On August 16, 1988, after three weeks of trial and two days of deliberation, Mike was sentenced to guilty. He was found guilty. I don't know why I said sentence, but he was found guilty of murder for Doreen, first degree, Now, for her son, he was charged with second-degree murder. In September of 1999, he was sentenced to die in the gas chamber. Mike told reporters, though, that he was going to appeal his death sentence because he should have been charged with manslaughter, not first-degree murder. He said he was blinded by grief over the drowning of his four-year-old son when he killed his ex-wife. He said, I want a new trial. If people know what I've been through, the verdict wouldn't have been the same. It would have been different. Mike Dennis has launched multiple appeals of his sentence, none of which have been successful. Today, Charles and Dina Scott say that they have forgiven Mike for their own peace of mind. They want him to know that he survived. I mean, that they survived. And they're making it. He didn't conquer them. See, with Mike being in California, we have different laws out here. And like many of California's death penalty convictions, Mike is still currently sitting on death row in San Joaquin State Prison in 2022. This murder 
took place so long ago, and he was charged in 1999, and he still is sitting on death row. Now, Charles and Deanne did an interview not too long ago about this entire case, and they talk about the death penalty and all that comes with it. And the one thing that they really make known is as much as they understand the like the price that comes with the death penalty, they also want people to look at the death penalty, like in this case, with how gruesome this case is, don't you think that these people deserve the same actions that they give? And they're protesting that for this case. They think that he should be sentenced to death. Instead, he's living his life out on death row and still being able to breathe and have a life, which is super sad for them. You, I'll post pictures of what they look like now. Um, they still stay in California. They're in Red Buff. And Charles has a hard time. His wife was murdered and he saw his son in the living room hacked up. And at first he said that he thought his wife had a miscarriage and that's where all the blood was. And something like she went, she gave birth, something happened and never occurred until he got closer. The true torment that his wife and his son went through after the autopsy was performed. It was said that the son never ended up breathing. His lungs never expanded. Um, so he never survived after being taken out of his mom's belly. He only was alive within the attack to her. And I don't know if that brings someone comfort or not that he didn't feel anything that was going on, but that's the one that they pointed out is that there was no air that went into his lungs. And the one thing also is there, the scenes for this case were horrific. There's multiple shows that are released on this case, multiple podcasts. I'm not going to go into that entire autopsy, but from the injuries, you can see that Doreen suffered. <sighs> yeah, that that one's a lot. Now, my thoughts on this case. This one was a doozy. I was reading it. I actually stumbled upon this case. I didn't even know about this case. And I was looking and researching a different case that I wanted to do this month. And I stumbled upon this one. And it stuck out to me so much. It stuck out to me because that mask is the same type of mask and style that I just saw at Spirit Halloween. And it just like stayed. So when I was deciding what to do for this week, I came across that one. And I thought that her story should be told. This is a story that really kind of shook me just knowing that she was pregnant and her daughter was there and she heard everything. She didn't see anything. She hid, but she heard it all. And I can't imagine the fear that she was going through and how much that still hurts her to this day. So, I, the story was hard. And researching it was hard and going through all that. I just want to put out there that as fun as Halloween can be, and it's my favorite holiday, sometimes you just have to be a little bit more on edge and watching your surroundings and what's going on around you. 
You can't always trust the people that you think are going to be the ones to protect you. So that is my spiel for this case. And my hearts go out Charles and Dean because they had to witness that. And I don't think that's an image that you can get out of your head. I don't think that's something that just happens and then you don't see it. I would be replaying it back in my head over and over and over and over. (sighs) So this case is hard. I will post photos of Doreen and her family and everything on my Instagram for you guys to look at it right when this episode is released. That brings us to the end of this episode. As always, thank you for listening to Murder by Nature. If you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any streaming platform that you're currently on. And be sure to come back next Saturday for our new episode. Like I said, I'm going to try and get two out next week. But come back and listen to another Halloween case. Until then, I am your host, Jasmine Hernandez. Don't forget to stay safe. Don't get murdered or murder people, you lovely humans. And please be vigilant and safe this Halloween. Have a good spooky season.